Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at KFUO.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind. That is the mind of Christ. And to help us do that, we have our cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians here today. We have layman Peter Slayton, Pastor Peter Ill, and myself, Pastor Sean Smith. And uh, the Peters are coming to you from live in the studio there in St. Louis, whereas I am in southern Illinois in my parish office. So uh, uh, just celebrating coming back from the uh, Christmas break. And over the Christmas break, my wife and I had... Uh, New baby. baby. Yeah, yeah, son, Johan Paul. And, uh, Thanks be to God. Brought into the family of God, indeed, Amen. this past Sunday. So, anyway, this is uh, uh, great to be back on KFUO discussing the Lutheran Confession of the Faith as uh, we continue to make our way through the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Where it's kind of an, a bit awkward here to pick up after our break. We, we, we spent, what, like the last month and a half or so before the Christmas break, uh, working our way through this article, Article 24 of the Mass. And then we have a couple weeks off for, for the, uh, the celebration of Christ's Mass, right? Uh, and we talked about some, some of that before. Uh, and now we're coming back into this. Uh, but uh, this is kind of, we've made the point before the break, uh, really where the rubber hits the road. So our, our, our Lutheran Confession of Faith centers around justification, Christ for you, right? And, and this is one of those big articles in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, as we've talked about, because this is where the rubber hits the road for justification lived out in the life of the church. And, uh, and there was definitely disagreement here, especially on how we, we viewed the nature of, um, um, you know, what, what is the Mass? What is, was it we do when we gather together? What's the, uh, help me out, guys, here, the, 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 purpose, the direction, the that's direction. what I'm looking the for. Direction. Yeah, the, the direction order. of worship. Uh, we definitely talked about how it's Christ to, or God to us through Christ, right, and his gifts there in the church. And that's not necessarily always understood, especially in American Christianity, uh, but definitely broadly in the earth uh, these days. Uh, but uh, certainly this this is playing out on that. And so the, that's just a very brief, poor catching up of uh, what we covered for a month and a half uh, beforehand. Uh, brothers, go ahead and save the show because I'm rusty and not getting <laughs> back into it here. I'm sleep deprived. And uh, go ahead and save it and, and get us caught up. As we're getting into the show, uh, I think it's a good time to mention that we are a live call-in show. And so you can <laughs> give us a call uh, here at uh, 1-800-730-2727, 1-800-730-2727, or you can send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org, and on social media all over the place like Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, we are at KFUO Radio. Thank you for that. that. That's not even <laughs> rustiness. I never remember to do that. So, right. so thanks for sharing that. We're, we're, that's okay. We've, we've started a New Year's resolution where we want more callers to call in and ask questions. And uh, that requires us to actually say the phone number. So, it does. So we're, we're just trying to fulfill our New Year's resolutions, right? 
<laughs> Pretty much. Good job. Well, Good as, job. as part of as part of summarizing, I mean, one of one of the things I wanted to mention is this article. As we've said, this is another long, long article in the apology. I don't. I haven't looked at the pages if it's quite as long as the article on justification. Um, I don't know if it's possible to be longer than than that one, but. I think it's important to note this is one of those areas where we as humans, we always, 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 because of our sin, our our sinful nature, our concupiscence, as we have talked about before, our tendency to sin, uh, that thing that's very built into us, it's just part of us, uh, built into us is probably a heretical way to talk about it, but you know, um, you know what I mean. But the whole point is we always turn everything towards ourselves. We bend it back towards us. And so here we have taken this wonderful gift, this the Lord's Supper, by which God comes to us and tells us in no uncertain terms, you are forgiven. This is freely from me to you. Your conscience can be comforted. You can have sure and certain knowledge that your your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. And we take that and say, ah, uh, hold on, I want to make it about me. <laughs> and, and so that's that's what the adversaries have done is they've turned it into an act, an offering. Uh, in their case, they're taking the word sacrifice and turning it into something we do for God. And so if we're talking about summarizing, that's that's why we're spending so much time on this is because the very central portion of our divine service, like the the culmination of our Sunday worship is the Lord's Supper, and that very culmination has been taken and turned into the exact opposite of what God actually intended it to be. And so we as Lutherans say, wait a minute, you're you're taking away the very essence of Christ when you when you make these changes. We have a lot to say about that, and we don't want to let you do that. Our Lord Jesus Christ gave us the gift of the Lord's Supper, and so we receive the gift from him. It's not ours to give back to him, and so we receive this gift, and we recognize it as a gift that we get, not a gift that we give, and that's where that challenge can come from and that temptation to want to make it about something that I do for God. And deep down, every Christian wants to figure out how everything that we do can be our gift to, well, anybody and everything. (laughs) But we have a chance here to say, oh, this is fabulous. Our Lord Jesus Christ has taken on flesh and blood. He took that flesh and blood, uh, true God and true man, to the cross. He suffered. He died. His body was broken. His blood was shed. And his broken body and his shed blood is given to Christians to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of sins, for life and for salvation. And it comes to us, and we rejoice uh, in that gift. I, I completely agree. Excellent job there, guys. And, and I want to add this one point to it as well, that sometimes I think we, we, uh, we get caught up in this kind of tedium of the length of the, the things, especially in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. And I, I've even joked with you guys off the air. I don't know that I've made this joke on the air. But, but you're you about know, to. This, yeah, yeah, it's this on the is record. Just, Here we this go. is just bad radio, the apology, right? Because <laughs> of its length, right? But yet at the same time, it's worth making this point that uh, when you're doing theology, which is just simply talking about God and, and these gifts that he gives us and, and, and what his word reveals to us, right? It, it is worthy 
God's word is worthy of such discussion and thought and depth of thought. And so we're, we're receivers of that in the Lutheran tradition uh, through things like this document um, that is preserved for us in the Book of Concord as part of our Lutheran confession of faith. And and it's worthy of being taught on the radio f- that we we have for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, but let's not get bogged down on, you know, the length and kind of the tedium and, and all the technical details. You know, we, we, we do want to teach that to you, and so we go over that on that show. But I, I think, you know, picking up on what you said there, you know, it's worthy of it because this is the gift that God gives to us, right? And it's the great comfort and center of the gospel for us. And that's the center focus of it. And because when abuses come in, it's worthy of great thought and discussion. And and praise be to God that our Lutheran forefathers have done this and that we still continue this tradition today. I, I know it's, it does get long and, and tedious as we read through these very lengthy pages and go on for months on the same article, but it, but it is worthy of that thought and discussion. So excellent job summarizing and catching us up there, guys, and just want to add that one tag of, you know, it, it's worthy of this, really. And today we get to start a new section in this article from the Apology to the Augsburg Confession and really get to take up the use of the sacrament and talking about sacrifice. And these words, sacrament and sacrifice, are directional words. A sacrament is something given from God to his people, and a sacrifice is something given from people to God. And so we're going to have that conversation uh, from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession uh, as we get to pick up at paragraph 68 that uh, of Article 24, I should say. And... If you are in the reader's edition of the Book of Concord and following along wherever you are, except if you're driving. If you're driving, uh, listen, don't read the book, please. <laughs> we um, do not recommend reading and driving. Right. You can read the book later, but uh, we are on page 231 in the Concordia edition, uh, Concordia reader's edition. Who's doing oh, the Oh, were you going to start reading there? I can. Or sure. You set it up. Oh, and okay. Yeah. Just left Great. It so here's what the text says. <laughs> Some clever men imagined that the Lord's Supper was set up for two reasons. First, that it might be a mark and reference of profession, just as a particular shape of a hood is the sign of a particular monastic profession. Second, they think that such a mark was especially pleasing to Christ, namely, a feast to illustrate mutual union and friendship among Christians, because banquets are signs of covenant and friendship. But this is a secular view. It does not show the chief use of the things delivered by God. It speaks only about the exercise of love, which people, however profane and worldly, understand. It does not speak of faith, the nature of which few understand. The sacraments are signs of God's will toward us, and not merely signs of people among one another. Those who define sacraments in the New Testament as signs of grace are correct. There are two things in a sacrament, a sign and the word. In the New Testament, the word is the promise of grace added. The promise of the New Testament is the promise of the forgiveness of sins. This is my body, which is given for you. This cup is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As Jesus says in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22, and as Paul records in 1 Corinthians 11. So... The word offers the forgiveness of sins, a ceremony 
is sort of a picture or a seal, as Paul calls it in Romans 4.11, the word making known the promise. Therefore, just as the promise is useless unless it is received through faith, so a ceremony is useless unless faith, which is truly confident that the forgiveness of sins is here offered, is added. This faith encourages penitent minds. Just as the word has been given to excite this faith, so the sacrament has been set up so that what meets the eyes might move the heart to believe. The Holy Spirit works through these, word and sacrament. Excellent. I want to pick up there right back at the beginning. I think we have these clear signs of what we've been talking about before uh, on this article of the direction once again. And so it talks about the shape of a hood as a sign of a particular monastic profession and so forth. And, and it's directing us towards that, you know, if we're viewing this as a sign of us towards God, then we don't understand the sacrament rightly. And then it turns that around and it says the sacraments are signs of God's will toward us. And so it brings us back to that direction of it's, it's God to us, what he's doing through the sacrament. Um, and so I want you guys to pick up and talk about that here. And then I I also want to follow up um, just so that you have in the back of your minds to that next portion there in paragraph 69, where it talks about the signs of grace, these two things in the sacrament, a sign and the word. And maybe we'll tie those two in together. So just give an idea of where we're going on that. But go ahead and jump in there, Layman Sleet. All right. So I think the first thing that I want to mention is as, as we're reading this, especially this first paragraph, we need to be careful not to see Melanchthon as saying that the Lord's Supper is not a mutual union and friendship among Christians. What he's saying is that's not only what it is, and that's not primarily what it is. I, I think, because it, it actually can be a sign of a profession. I don't know if how, how he's using the word profession, but the Lord's Supper is a mark amongst Christians that we are Christians and that we come together and, and celebrate this. So there there's a mark there. It, it does mark us as being a part of something. The Lord's Supper is also mutual union and friendship amongst brothers and sisters as Christians. The point here is that it seems the adversaries were saying that's all it is, or that those were the primary things that it is, or that those were the things that we should most focus on particularly as we're talking about the Lord's Supper, celebrating the Lord's Supper. So I want to be careful that we don't go too far uh, particularly because in the second one, the this idea that it's a mutual union and friendship among Christians, and, and where I grew up in the evangelical circles I grew up in, that was the primary and only point of the Lord's Supper. You did it out of obedience because Christ commanded you to, and so it was an ordinance in that sense, but it was purely symbolic, and the main purpose of it was to have fellowship with each other as Christians, and that's what you did. And I find it very interesting that the adversaries had basically the same view as many of our American evangelical churches who view this as primarily symbolic or only symbolic do today, because that's what you end up focusing on when you have a conversation with evangelical friends and family. This is the part that bothers them the most. Why can't I go up with you in, in mutual friendship and communion and have the Lord's Supper, are you saying I'm not a Christian? And that's kind of where that direction goes because their view is very much this. 
that this this is what it is. It's the mutual union and friendship among Christians is the primary importance of the Lord's Supper. I think that's an important point to make, and, and maybe you're tap dancing around, maybe you're not. I don't know. I don't want to put words in thoughts in here. But are, <laughs> I are don't you, tap are, dance. Are you I around stop. this idea of uh, closed communion? Yeah, that's that's it, part of it. I didn't want to take us all the way there yet because I right, we'll, yeah, we we'll definitely end up don't there want, and we don't want to make but, that the only focus right. of, of that either, right? Um, but I think that that's a part of, especially where you were ending up there too, about you know, it, it is a profession of the faith that we have, right? And, yeah. and our unity in Christ, and we're not eliminating that, and I don't see Melanchthon eliminating that either. Um, but when we make it all about that, and I think you can fall onto either side of it, uh, even on the closed communion side and even on the other side mm-hmm. where, you know, it's just what we do as Christians, right? Right. Yep. Pastor L, were you going to jump in there? Sorry. I, if I, I, I think it's completely fair to ask a Christian or, well, to ask a Christian, why do Christians or why do you go to communion? And when you ask that question, that's really what Melanchthon is getting at here. And if the first and primary answer of why do you go to communion is because that's where I experience unity with the church, it shows that, well, that unity doesn't confess when you say it that way. It doesn't confess the importance of Christ, who is the one who gives his body and his blood in the Lord's Supper. And so... Why do Christians go to the Lord's Supper? We go because that's where Jesus puts his body and his blood and delivers it to us. And when he does that, he creates unity and love and Christian fellowship. And so you end up with Jesus and unity and fellowship with the church. But first and foremost, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I think Luther sets this up really well um, for us in a very simple way in the small catechism, right? His very first question in the small catechism is, what is the sacrament of the altar? You know, so what is this that we're doing and what we're gathering around here? And he, he answers it very simply. It is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and to drink. There it gives us that very good direction that, that Melanchthon brings out there in paragraph 69. The sacraments are signs of God's will toward us and not merely signs of people among one another, right? And and, and if we just have that simple understanding of the catechism, we, we don't have an issue here, right? If we understand we're starting with Jesus, his body, his blood, his true body, and blood given and shed for us to eat and to drink, right? Then we find our unity is with Christ. That's the direction. It's Christ to us, for us, right? And then that will, of course, unite us as St. Paul will will do in almost all of his letters talking about the unity that we have because we are united with Christ. Or am I getting kind of too crazy? I was trying to bring it back to a simple thing there, but did I get too crazy at the end? I don't think so. Okay. What you've really illustrated well is Melanchthon's whole commentary through this is really rooted in the confession of the real presence of Jesus in his supper. Uh, I was thinking ahead just a little bit towards those first couple sentences in paragraph 69, and when it talks about the sacraments are signs of God's will toward us and not merely signs of people among one another— It's not our supper to get to decide what it means or what it says. It's Jesus' supper. Jesus says that it is his body and it is his blood and it brings the forgiveness of sins. 
for us to go back and try to edit Jesus so that it's not that ends up, well, not, not working out real well for us. <laughs> and, and we end up missing the point. The point is God loves you so much that he sent his son into the world so that everyone who believes in him shall not suffer but have eternal life. And the one who indeed eats his flesh and drinks his blood will live forever. That's what Jesus says. I, I think one thing I really appreciate, especially as we get into paragraph 69 and 70 with what Melanchthon is doing here is he has this first paragraph that I, we've already talked about this. It's a, it's a mark and a reference, and then it's the mutual union and friendship. But the problem is, if that's all it is to you, you actually lose what Melanchthon talks about as the primary importance of this, which is the word that is joined with these elements. And he says that word is the promise of grace. And and that's that's what, if we talk about, okay, why do we as Lutherans care so much about this? Why is Melanchthon writing so much about this? Why do we get in internet debates and discussions about is means is and everything else that we've got going on here? Well, it's because if we see this in any other way, we actually lose that word of promise. And and for us Lutherans, that's that's everything. <laughs> you know, the the Lord's Supper is important to me, is is critical to me, is cherished by me because of that promise of what I'm actually receiving in it. I'm receiving, as Pastor Earl said, Christ crucified for me, and that that forgiveness. And so, and that's that's the word. So Melanchthon several times mentions the word, the word, the word, and that word is that promise of grace. It is that forgiveness of sins. And it's that which is attached to this element, to these elements in this particular case, attached to that sign. And if you lose that word, you lose everything. As we've just finished uh, our celebration of the 12 days of Christmas, we think back about Jesus is the word made flesh. It's easy for us to see that Jesus is a gift given to us. Jesus is something that we receive. He comes to us. And when he comes to us, well, one of the ways that he comes to us is through his supper. And so when we receive the Lord's Supper, we receive Jesus himself. And that is a really helpful thing always to remember. Uh, it's a simple thing Sorry, it's not simple. No, it's simple. It's just hard to understand. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm tripping over my words. That's all right. I, I, I think you guys are, are making an excellent point here that it, it really is about the confession of what it is um, and, and and what it is that we believe God has given to us in this gift. And and to to bring us back to kind of the point that I made you know, that you can fall off on either side of this. Sometimes I think even when we, we think about the practice of close communion, for instance, right, we, we can kind of do this. He, he makes the remark there in paragraph 68 about uh, just as the particular shape of a hood is the sign of a particular monastic profession. You know, sometimes even those who honor the, the right historical and biblical practice of close communion, it, it just comes down to a simple you know, well, are you Lutheran or not? And and it's kind of saying the same 
thing as, well, do you have the right hood for the monastic profession? Yeah. Or not? And that's not what it's about, right? And and sometimes we, we make jokes in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, especially about a historical thing that is in the church about, you know, do you have the Lutheran card, right? And and this is actually a historical practice that really is quite a beautiful thing. It, it just means that you have been rightly instructed or in a, mem- in a member of good standing, meaning that you, you have that uh, pastor-penitent relationship in a right order with your pastor and and you had to travel and so your pastor would say yes they they are in good standing and and uh they have uh the blessing to receive it in the communion of of your congregation gathered together in that place that they're visiting that week and so that's where that lutheran card comes from historically there actually is such but, a thing as a card carrying lutheran <laughs> yes or there was. i have there copies was. of the card in my very old congregation here wow uh, that uh you know can still be used, and I've actually used them for some of my members. I think it's still a beautiful practice if we understand it rightly. But if it just becomes about do you have the card or not, well, then we've made it about do you have the right monastic hood or not, yeah. right? You know, it's essentially <laughs> that same idea. Do you have the and, blue and so card we, or the red card? What's that? <laughs> the blue card or the red card? It's blue, actually. Oh, you got to have the yeah. red card. In 2006, we went to red, remember? <laughs> <laughs> I'm making a hymnal joke now. It's it's a little too inside, even for this show. Even for this show, <laughs> yeah. Um, but but anyway, getting back to the point here, <laughs> this is why it's so important to teach. You, you can derail a show like just about anybody. I'm really uh, but, good uh, at it. No, uh, the, it brings us back to the point that the important thing is that we need to teach and commend this. Right. Otherwise, we're prone by our sinful nature, as you referenced earlier, Layman Slayton. We're kind of prone to by our sinful nature to just reduce it down to this bare bones of do you have the card or not? Do you do, do, are you Lutheran or not? And that's never really what the practice of close communion or even what we're talking about with the mass in general is. It always begins with Jesus, what it is that that we believe about him and what he has given to us in the church, especially as we're talking about here in the mass and the sacrament. Right. And so that it flows forth from that right understanding of that confession anything to add before we got to come up on a hard break here no i think i'm all set let's go to break let's yeah we're really rusty after christmas let's work on that (laughs) over the break come on back after this Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their mettle against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. Concord Matters is a show seeking agreement in Christian confession. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen, one of the hosts of Concord Matters, heard on Worldwide KFUO each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central and a repeat on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Central. We take an in-depth look at the Book of Concord with some fine Lutheran theologians. Concord Matters, live on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, 
making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. In 1929, the Boston Symphony Orchestra commissioned Russian composer Igor Stravinsky, one of the most important composers of the first half of the 20th century, to compose a work to celebrate their 50th anniversary. A Symphony Time magazine later named the century's best classical piece. Stravinsky's Symphony of Psalms was a work in three movements for chorus and orchestra, the last of which is the longest, inspired by Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. In an interview, Stravinsky said that the Psalms are poems of exaltation, but also of anger and judgment, and even of curses. He even included a section of music in the symphony inspired by Second Kings, when Elijah's chariot climbs into the heaven, engaged with the Bible in its impact and influence in every sphere. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. And welcome back to the show where we seek to be of one mind, the mind of Christ. We are super rusty after taking 12 days off for Christmas, that holy, blessed season. And uh, we're, we're trying to get back into it here. But we have to do that, shaking the rust off, our cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians, layman Peter Slayton, Pastor Peter Ill, and myself, Pastor Sean Smith. And Pastor Ill is going to keep his resolution to get more call-ins on the new year uh, for this live call-in show. So go ahead and give that information. There. Absolutely. That is 1-800-730-2727, 1-800-730-2727. Or you can send us an email at kfuo at kfuo.org. Or you can reach us at KFUO Radio on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and I think that's all the social media we have. That might be all the social media we need. Those are the ones we check regularly. Yeah, they're the important ones. Indeed. Nobody cares so indeed, about interact with this, this very important topic, and thanks for sharing that information. I want to get right back into it. We're, we're not into the smooth transitions. we got to get back into it, and we'll get to the smooth transitions later. So very awkwardly, I'm going to shift us right back to the conversation because we came up on that hard break, but there, there were a couple things I wanted to get to that we were beginning to talk about. We talked about the direction, and you know, it's not just about the Lutheran card and things like that. As we were working through the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 24 of the Mass, and the section here, the use of the sacrament and of the sacrifice, paragraph 68 and following. And I, I did mention that I wanted to talk about tying in there uh, this, this line in paragraph 69. There are two things in the sacrament, a sign and the word. And Pastor Timothy Apple, a good friend of mine uh, down in Smithville, Texas, texted me during the break and reminded me, don't forget 
to reference the rest of the catechism, which gives us this very good, simple teaching that makes this point as well. I referenced the first question in the small catechism, what is the sacrament of the altar? But we also have these other questions that help us, again, in a very simple way, understand this this right understanding of what the mass is all about and it and it ties in with this the the question is what is the benefit of this eating and drinking and it says these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins show us that in the sacrament forgiveness of sins life and salvation are given us through these words for where there is forgiveness of sins there is also life and salvation once again it's just telling us this is simply what scripture teaches us to believe the next question that i think that is really helpful here too is how can bodily eating and drinking do such great things well certainly not just eating and drinking do these things but the words written here given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins these words along with the bodily eating and drinking are the main thing in the sacrament Whoever believes these words has exactly what they say, forgiveness of sins. I think that's excellent. Very simple teaching that we, we commend in our Lutheran church body of this is what Scripture teaches us, right? And, and these, these are the two things in the sacrament, the sign and the word. God gives us, Jesus himself gives us in his own word, what is the main thing? What is going on there? What's the direction? And when we gather around that... And then we understand what it is that we're receiving there. And we can't make it about, you know, who has the right, you know, monastic hood or who has the Lutheran card or, or, you know, are you Lutheran or not? Or any other thing of kind of fellowship that at times historically and even still today, as we talked about, can tend to be a temptation for us on this. No, let, let's talk about what is it? What is the main thing? What has Jesus himself told us to believe this sacrament's all about? And when we begin there, then we'll see our true unity because then flowing forth from that of course we're reunited into one body because we're with christ we're we're literally in his body his body is in us as we take it into our mouths right and, and so that's going to unite us together as well any any comments on my just like little soapbox rants there right there well it leads to a little bit of a question for me as we're talking a, a bit about uh how communion through christ brings us into fellowship i think that sometimes Christians have a hard time knowing exactly what words to use. And so when you walk into a, a new-to-you church, as, uh, how would a Christian, uh, when a Christian walks up to the pastor and says, Pastor, it's nice to meet you. Um, I'm interested in receiving the Lord's Supper. And the pastor asks a question like, why do you want to receive the Lord's Supper? What is the Lord's Supper? What kind of an answer would be helpful uh, to keep that that emphasis that Melanchthon has here in order. Are you asking that generally for people to call in and say... Well, they can, but I, <laughs> I, I, I meant to ask you, but, you know, but people could call in. 1-800-730-2727. Okay. You, you didn't give a direct... You know, okay, uh, sorry, so, Pastor Smith, this question uh, is for you. Um, how yeah. can a Christian confess that uh, when when a pastor asks them, why do you want to receive the Lord's Supper today? Well, so, like... See, this is this is where it's difficult, right? Because are you asking me to put words in their mouth of this is what you should say when asked that question, right? And, I can and, answer what I say if that helps. I'm not. Yeah. Pastor why, do, why doesn't Smith. the layman go on with this <laughs> instead of the pastor who's prone to put words in people's the, mouths? It's, anyway, it's only happened to me a couple times where the response to me saying I'd like to receive the Lord's Supper has been, "Well, what do you believe about it?" And I, I can only uh, there's one or two times, but my answer, my first answer is, "Well." I, I want to receive forgiveness of sins. 
Um, and then in following up to that question, usually there, there are questions about, well, what do you believe this is? Do you believe this is the true body and blood of Christ? Yeah, I, I believe that it is that and that it's given and shed for me. Um, and so you kind of go through, Pastor Smith, the, the small catechism questions you just read to us. There's a little bit of a, okay, do you actually believe these things about it? But if I'm asked, why do you want to come up? It's like, well, I want my sins forgiven. Not not because they aren't forgiven elsewhere in the service, like confession and absolution, or in hearing the preaching of the, preaching of the gospel and hearing my sins forgiven that way, but because I also know that this is what Christ has given to me. And if he gave it to me, it's probably because I need it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's why I was stumbling over the words. And I, I'm thankful that you jumped in there because this is the difficulty, right? Of me being a pastor who asked that question like yourself, pastor Hill, right? And, and what we want and what you and I, I know we both teach this to our confirmands and to all of our members, right? Is just, just take the simple catechism and let that be your answer, right? Uh, this is why we have the catechism. This is why we teach it is because it is the simple teaching of our Christian faith. And so that answer of, yeah, I want to receive the forgiveness of sins, Christ's true body and blood given and shed for me. I believe that to be true, right? Um, th- in practice, though, um, if I may just take us off on a side tangent, what I tend to get, though, is that Lutheran card kind of understanding, right? I'll, I'll even ask the question that's asking for a confession of faith, right? And it's like, well, I'm Lutheran, so, member at such and such. And it's like, well, that's okay. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm asking what you believe here, right? Uh, and, and honestly, I- even if we can take it a step further, just as a, as a teaching moment here on the show, um, it's, it's, I always encourage, we generally know when we're visiting a place beforehand. And I generally don't like to show up on that Sunday and ask when I'm visiting somewhere else and, and ask that Sunday. Although I think I did that to Pastor Ill one time. I just showed up one Sunday and, and said, hey, I want to receive the Lord's Supper with you. Um, but uh, most of the time we generally know where, where we're going. And so it, it's beneficial to call and have that conversation beforehand. Have your pastor call their pastor. I have parishioners of mine uh, say, hey, I'm visiting here. Do you know of a congregation and pastor that I can receive the Lord's Supper with and, and, and divine service with as I'm there? And so I will generally make that contact beforehand. And it just kind of removes all the anxiety of right there before the church service with a lot of other things going on. So that's just a small teaching thing, it allows a little more conversation as well, if there needs to be conversation. And so it's just a teaching moment there. But yeah, as far as, you know, what I want people to answer, if that was your question, Pastor Hill, I just want them to answer the catechism, that simple confession of what it is that we believe is the main thing of the sacrament, because Jesus himself tells us to believe it. Layman Slayton, you... As I'm sitting here listening, I'm wondering if part of the reason I don't get asked the the further questions more frequently is because I probably short circuit that process and say, yeah, I'm Peter. We're members at Village Lutheran in Ladue or we're LCMS. We'd like to commune today. And and most pastors like yourself, well, you're also kind of trained to say, okay, great. <laughs> even, even if you'd like to do more, the social expectation on my part and your part is that I've just given you my card. That should be enough. But like you said, it is a good thing for there to be more. And I would guess as pastors, probably part of the reason you're not always comfortable asking for more is because you're worried that the person might be offended. And and I can say, well, yeah, I'd, ha- I'd have to check my own spirit if I were to be offended by being asked additional questions. 
even though I know, wow, no, these are actually good questions to ask. This is a good thing to do. I mean, I want to eliminate it, but I I will say I I generally don't have a problem with offending people as I talk over (laughs) Pastor L. But uh, (laughs) um, it's it's honestly just more of a practical matter when it happens right before the divine service. There's a lot going on. Sometimes I always try to be at the door greeting everybody coming in, um, you know, anyway, on on any given Sunday. But I also serve a dual pair. Sometimes I'm running late from the other congregation or something needs to get set up last minute or someone else has brought a prayer request to me and I need to make sure I added it. And so that's why I always just give that teaching moment of, you know, if you know where you're going on a Sunday, call the week ahead of time or, you know, a little in advance <clears throat> because it allows for that. And, and just on a purely practical thing, I, I don't think for me, it's so much the offense. It's, it's just a matter of, is there time? So now I'll let Peter L go after I offended him. Uh, you haven't offended me at all. Uh, from time to time, I have a, this crazy brainstorm of being able to sit down with with Christians that I regularly get to share the Lord's Supper with and ask them this very same question, why would you like to receive the Lord's Supper today? And I'm, I don't think I'm going to do that anytime soon, but it's definitely something that we uh, that is part of good pastoral care and something that I do occasionally get to ask with folks. And I believe that we have... Uh, oh, I'm sorry... You thought you had a caller. Uh, we, well, we do. We do have a caller. We do have a caller. We do have a caller. Oh, all right. We need to hang on. I'm sorry. <laughs> we all have to shake the rust I'm off I am very here. rusty on this. <laughs> this, this. All right. This show is just... We have with us Pastor Tom Hendrick from Evansville, Illinois. Uh, Pastor Hendrick, thank you for calling in, sir. Yeah, how y'all doing? Excellent. How are you? Wonderful. Good. How's that Texan Sean doing? Is he behaving himself? I'm For good. The I missed part. you at Winkle this morning, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if you got my group text yeah, or not. Yeah, yeah. God's okay, peace to uh, you on that. Yeah. Um, a while ago when y'all were asking the question, why do you want to receive Holy Communion? There's a really simple, substantive answer. I want the absolute certain assurance of forgiveness that, that Christ's body and blood gives me. It's not just receiving forgiveness. We get that anyway. We get, mm. as, as y'all correctly said. But in the sacrament, we get substantive uh, uh, assurance. Absolute. You know, uh, Missourians are the show-me state. And in a very real way, all of us are show-me people. And, G- and Jesus says, okay, I'll show you. Here, receive my body and blood. Now I've shown you that you have forgiveness. As I, as I tell my kids, the, the first time they commune, say, oh, that wine tastes really weird. And I say, that's what forgiveness tastes like. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great expansion on, on what we've been saying. Thanks for sharing that. And I think that's a little bit of what I was getting at when I said, well, Jesus does it because we need it. I mean, that is our problem. We, we are constantly forgetting we we need these actual physical reminders not just an internal experience uh, if you can trust any internal experience at all and generally we confess no <laughs> we don't trust those god has given us these these external things because as you said we need that certainty that's that sure assurance that yeah my sins actually are forgiven it's just like what happened when god approached adam and eve he meets us where we're at. He meets us where we're at. He says, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this to you. 
I, I shouldn't have to do this, by the way, but I'm going to do it because you need it, because you need it. And then I'm going to carry you to a place farther. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks for calling in and, and, and once again kind of reaffirming, let's bring it back to the simple here. I know we did a lot of talking about it, but but the, the simple answer, the, the simple response to Pastor Ill's question is absolutely what Pastor Hendrick said. We want that blessed assurance of what Christ gives to us, his forgiveness of our sins, right? That's what he purchased and won for us in that body and blood there on the cross. And, and that's that's beautifully taught to us in the catechism. I also, just, just because he called in here, I'm going to do a little advertisement. So actually, I get the opportunity to, to teach uh, at Pastor Hendricks' congregation's dual parish that he serves here in Southern Illinois. Uh, they're calling it a Lutheran revival. We'll, we'll ignore the Baptist-y kind of sound to that. But uh, <laughs> basically, we're teaching the catechism. What did I just say about but, inner experiences, people? Right. <laughs> but uh, basically, we're teaching, and I'm teaching the Lord's Supper. It's coming up this month. I don't have the date in front of me, so I, it's not a good advertisement. But uh, I'll be teaching on the Lord's Supper. And, and again, what are we going to be teaching? Well, what's the main thing? Well, what Jesus tells us is the main thing. His own word says, this is your forgiveness of sins. And that's what we mean by sign, too, to bring us back to the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. I think sometimes we see sign and we think, you know, merely a symbol of, you know, not not a real thing. And certainly... Uh, broad American Christianity, the tradition that uh, uh, Layman Slayton talks about coming out of and so forth, uh, they, they tend to think of the, the Lord's Supper merely as a symbol. Once again, even just a symbol of their unity, something they do together, right? Um, but uh, when we're talking about a sign here, we're not just talking about you know something that doesn't actually do things. It, it actually does something. It delivers to you the forgiveness of sins because Jesus tells us that. Layman Slayton, jump so in. So I, I, I thought of an analogy that might be helpful as we're thinking about signs. You guys can tell me if this is actually helpful or not, but I think all of us are familiar with the idea of a gravestone. Of, of a headstone, where you, you go to a cemetery, and here's a headstone, and that headstone is a sign that there is actually a body here. And the reason we know that headstones indicate that there's a, the body there is because, well, we have something like the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Washington, D.C., which is odd and, and weird and different because there's not actually a body there. And so it's like this set-apart or is there not a body there? It's like we don't. There's know. a body there. There's not a name. But we don't know who it actually is. Right. Where the right, normal, right. the normal standard is: here's a headstone. This is the person who's here, and they are actually here. There is actually a body here in the ground, and this sign, this headstone, tells you there's actually something here. We we do this all the time. I mean, this is how we operate within our world: is that signs actually indicate the reality of something. So. When we take the Lord's Supper or baptism and say, no, they're only a sign, there's not actually something there as well, what's odd is we are doing the opposite of what we do in everyday life with everything else. Yeah, I don't know if that's helpful or not. (laughs) I I do think that that's helpful, you know, and I've been maybe more prone to talk about it in this sense of like when the sign says bump in the road, right? It's because there's a bump in the road there. You're going to hit that yeah. bump. It's going, and if you're going too fast, it's going to be a little <laughs> jarring, right? And, uh, but uh, I think, you know, talking about in terms of the body and the tombstone, we, we generally would call it a tombstone, not a sign. So maybe that's why I hadn't really made that connection before. But I think that that's maybe a little more helpful in understanding uh, as it really is a sign, right, of, 
of what's down there, what 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 yeah. lays here, and and especially when we connect that to the Lord's Supper. Obviously, Christ has risen from the dead, so we're not talking about you know him still laying in the grave in that sense. But this is what's really there: Christ's body and blood, because that's the sign he's telling us in his own words there. Yeah. Excellent. Yes. All right. Uh, good question. We should push forward a little more, though, uh, in the in the 10 minutes or so that we have left in the show. Uh, again, awkward transition. We'll work on our smoothness and shaking the rust off. Uh, but thanks to Pastor Hendrick for calling in, by the Indeed. way. By the way, I found the date. What's that? Indeed. Yeah. I found the date, by the way. It's Sunday the 24th, and that'll be in uh, um, uh, Ruma, Illinois, is where I'll be teaching there. So uh, please join us there. Beautiful anyway. downtown Ruma with really pretty church too yeah yeah definitely definitely pretty you, you used to be down in this area <laughs> i i did used to stomp around that part of southern illinois yeah. yeah all right well getting back to the apology of the augsburg confession uh we're picking up with paragraph 71 i'm going to throw it to layman slayton to read for us now all right such a use of the sacrament in which faith enlivens terrified hearts is a service of the new testament that is because the new testament requires spiritual inclinations making dead and alive Christ instituted the sacrament for this use, since he commanded the disciples to do this in remembrance of him. Remembering Christ is not the useless celebration of a show. It is not something set up for the sake of example, as the memory of Hercules or Ulysses is celebrated in tragedies. Rather, it is remembering Christ's benefits and receiving them through faith to be enlivened by them. So Psalm 111 verses 4 through 5 says, he has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. The sacrament illustrates that God's will and mercy should be discerned in the ceremony. Faith that grasps mercy enlivens. This is the chief use of the sacrament. It is clear who are fit for the sacrament, namely terrified consciences, and how they should use it. The sacrifice also is added. For there are several reasons with one purpose. After a conscience encouraged through faith has determined from what terrors it is freed, it fervently gives thanks for Christ's benefit and passion. It also uses the ceremony itself to God's praise to show its gratitude by this obedience. It declares that it holds God's gifts in high esteem. So the ceremony becomes a sacrifice of praise. Should I keep going or pause there for now? Pause there for a second. All right. I, I we got a highlight lot in there. for us. Yeah, th there really is a lot. I want to highlight just very briefly, just because we'll we'll just make this the catechism, simple understanding, explaining the apology of the Augsburg Confession for us. Paragraph 73 there, it is clear who are fit for the sacrament, namely terrified consciences and how they should use it. The last question in the the uh uh, section on the sacrament of the altar uh, in the small catechism asks the question, who receives this sacrament worthily? And it gives this teaching, fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training. So again, kind of talking about, it's a fine outward kind of thing that we do, but it brings us back to the main thing. But that person is truly worthy and well-prepared who has faith in these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do we think maybe it's about the forgiveness of sins? I mean, it's listed in every <laughs> answer, right? So this is exactly what Jesus tells us to believe it's all about, right? And finishing up the answer. But anyone who does not believe these words or doubts them is unworthy and unprepared. For these words for you require all hearts to believe. And so that even brings us back to the question of, that's why it's a really good question, a question we're taught to ask, right? Not just are you Lutheran or not when they come and want to receive the Lord's Supper with us, but because 
again, our simple teaching that we, we have wonderfully in the small catechism for us teaches us what Scripture teaches us, right? If you believe that you receive the forgiveness of sins, you're worthy. It's, it's going to be for your benefit because that's exactly what's delivered there. But if you don't, maybe you want to not take it, and, and we need to have further conversation here. Um, not maybe, I, I will say don't take it because you will take it to your judgment as we would receive in 1 Corinthians 11, but not not to go all the way off on just a, a textual study there, but but just the simple understanding of if you don't believe that you receive the forgiveness of sins as Jesus himself tells us is going on there, well, then it, it, it's not going to be to your benefit and it's going to be to your harm. And so uh, when it makes it clear then who is worthy, fit to receive that is how you answer that question. Do you believe what it has to offer or not? Go ahead and jump in there. There's a lot more to cover in there. Well, I love how it talks about our our response. And and once again, how we, we tend to confuse our response with the thing itself. And so here you have the Lord's Supper, you've received it, faith enlivens you. And in response to that, the, the natural, your, the, new, the new man, the new natural response is, thank you, Lord, for what you have done. And then once again, our sinful nature just grabs that and says, ooh, I'm going to make my thanks the thing that I'm offering God, and that makes this a good thing. And like, once again, we're already off off the deep end again, like how easily we take this and twist it and turning into the wrong thing and focus on the wrong thing. It's simply you receive that forgiveness. The The response of the Holy Spirit in you is, is that thankfulness and just simply thank God for that and, and leave it at that. And I don't know, can you thank him for your thanks too? the fact that you've even been given this ability to thank him is also from him and stop thinking about yourself. I guess that's my point is stop turning it right back into, okay, now, God, can I finally give you something? Now can I do it? Now is it about me? It's kind of like the simple act of of breathing. Uh, we breathe in, we breathe out. And the life of a Christian functions very much like that. We receive this sacrament of our Lord Jesus Christ and his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. We breathe that in. And what do we breathe out? Clothed with Christ, we breathe out the thankfulness and praise that Christ works in us. And so the Lord's Supper isn't about us, but it is for us, if I can put it that way. Very well said. Breathe in deeply. Take it in. This is Christ for you. The forgiveness of sins delivered to you. That's that's what we mean is going on in the sacrifice, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, the Mass. It is him just lavishing his grace upon you. Just breathe it in deeply. Believe the words and promises that he gives us that this is for your forgiveness. And when you have that, then everything else falls into place. And that's the beautiful confession that we have as we've been here talking today about the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 24 of the Mass. Uh, Come back next week as we'll continue pushing through this. Again, it's a worthy thing to study in great detail. But as we've been taking a look at today, the use of the sacrament and the sacrifice, this is what Christ has given for you. That's the gospel. It's beautiful to gather around every time. Thanks for stopping by today, and until next time, keep confessing, church.